When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby And welcome to another edition of Protecting America I'm Rita Cosby Actor Alec Baldwin is facing serious charges of involuntary manslaughter in connection to the on-set death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins while they were filming Baldwin's film Rust in New Mexico. So do authorities have a strong case, and how will this death change the way that guns are handled on movie sets? Joining us now to discuss all of this and more is a great legal expert, former federal prosecutor, Doug Burns. Doug, so great to have you here on the podcast. Hey, thanks for the invitation. Appreciate it. What is your reaction to the charges against Alec Baldwin? Well, it's interesting, Rita, because, you know, a lot of jurors are going to walk into a criminal court building just wired with, you know, decades of common sense. And they're like, wait a minute, this was an accident. You know, I don't understand. How are you charging somebody with a crime, you know, when it's an accident? But they will quickly be schooled in the fact that not all, you know, homicides have to be an intentional killing. So here, Baldwin is charged with involuntary manslaughter in two counts. And I'll break that down and explain that because it seems confusing. At first blush, it looked like they were charging him in two counts <laughs> with the same crime, which you can't do. I think that's called duplicity. A lot of uh, lawyers will chuckle and say that in all our years of practicing law, there's one set of terms that we can never get straight, and it's duplicity and multiplicity. But jokes aside, duplicity, I believe, is charging Doug Burns with stealing a candy bar from 7-Eleven in count one, and then in count two, the exact same thing, charging Doug Burns with stealing the candy bar from 7-Eleven. Here, they've charged two counts of involuntary manslaughter. And the first one is, you know, reckless disregard for human life, criminal negligence. You don't need intent to have killed. But the second one is involuntary manslaughter in the commission of an otherwise lawful act, Sounds like a lot of legal mumbo jumbo. But the point is, Rita, the jury, if it goes to trial, will elect between those two counts. They will convict or acquit, you know, one or the other, not both. So that answered that first question about duplicity. Now, very, very important, real quick, is that count two, the involuntary manslaughter in the commission of a lawful act, carries a potential enhancement for the use of a firearm. Now, us experts, we experts, don't want to get over our ski tips. Number one, I want to look at the exact statutory sections when the charges come out. You know, in my background in federal criminal law, we have what's called 18 U.S.C. 924C. I know people sometimes like to look stuff up. A 924C is a sentencing enhancement for the use of a firearm in connection with a crime of violence or drugs, and it's very, very severe. It's a five-year mandatory minimum on top of whatever else you're getting, and it has to be consecutive. So here, 
with all my years, when I heard that there could be a five-year enhancement for a gun, it doesn't sound like that's going to apply. And I'll tell you why. Number one, I don't see in New Mexico law yet, you know, and I'm not a New Mexico lawyer, I'm a New York lawyer, but I don't see that it's a five-year enhancement. I saw a much lower enhancement. But again, I'll look at the section when I see it. And two, this I think you'll find interesting, as well as the listeners, you know, the use of a firearm in connection with a crime here, this is a prop on a movie set, okay? So it's certainly much different factually than, you know, a true bad guy, we'll call it, using a gun with a crime. So to me, it's not clear. He faces up to 18 months in prison, which is not insignificant. If he fights City Hall, you know, and he continues to deny everything and, you know, pass the blame to others, he could ostensibly get some time if he went to trial and lost. Were you surprised that Alec Baldwin was actually charged? Initially, I was surprised, Rita, and here's why. When I heard, I guess it was the day before, that, you know, they were going to announce the decision and so on and so forth, you know, every sort of, you know, criminal law bone in my body was like, you know, they're probably going to announce that they're not going to bring a charge. You know, there have been charges in the past, that horrific Twilight Zone onset accident. We've had construction cases. I've been in a few of them where somebody dies in just a pure accident on a construction site. But I figured, and it had nothing to do, by the way, with the elite status of Alec Baldwin, you know, as a famous actor. I just felt that they may not do it. However, on further reflection, I then came up with my three-part test for why he was charged. Number one, part of the recipe is that not only was he an actor on the project, he was the producer. And that's a very important legal distinction, in my opinion, for the simple reason that he has supervisory responsibility over the entire project. Number two was the disastrous, repeat, disastrous interview that he gave with George Stephanopoulos. Because the point is, most criminal lawyers... It actually becomes almost too much of a cliche in a sense, the idea of, oh, never go in, never talk. You know, we've had some sensational situations where we brought guys in. In one case, I won't get all in the weeds, in a big homicide case, very wealthy people, this and that sensational case on Long Island, brought the guy in for an interview. And ultimately, he was exonerated. I mean, I'm not bragging that I'm Perry Mason, but, you know, there are exceptions to every rule. But for him to go on national television, Rita, and say two things, number one, oh, no, 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 I didn't pull the trigger. Well, now, apparently, and I'm going to need to see it in detail, but apparently there are FBI forensic analyses which say the gun was fired. And then, two, he said, I know somebody's responsible here, but it isn't me. And again, it just came across very glib and very arrogant. So that's part two of my recipe. Part three of the recipe is the most important part of all, because it tracks directly into the law. The law is that this woman went to work and she expected that there would be a reasonable level of care so that the workplace that she was working at was going to be safe. That's the law of negligence. And the point is, this particular set And I think this will come out if there is a hearing or a trial. There's certainly going to be apparently a probable cause hearing. And that'll take, you know, some days and get into some real detail. But they're going to determine and prove that the set was a mess. There was a lot of talk and complaining. I mean, there was this plinking stuff. You've heard about that. Plinking is apparently a custom on movie sets where crew members shoot live rounds at cans and stuff. But again, the gunners 
and others are very, very, very meticulous and careful to make sure that no live rounds get anywhere near the filming. But here, apparently, because the gunnery person was a little bit inexperienced, I think she was 24 years old, and there were budgetary issues and cutting costs and stuff, and there were complaints. If the prosecutors demonstrate, as I believe they will, to a jury that it really was no secret at all that this was really, really a troublesome set and there were real serious safety concerns as a result of that. That's going to track right into this idea of criminal negligence, which is, you know, not performing to a duty of care that would, you know, keep the thing safe. So that's what's really going on. I think it's very much on the fence. You can argue this both ways. You can argue that it was an accident. Then you can argue that the negligence was so extreme that it warrants this charge. You know, involuntary manslaughter is a low, low level homicide, not surprisingly. It's the unintentional killing, to repeat, of a person with no intent to harm or kill them, but it's as a result of gross negligence, okay? You were just grossly negligent about the environment that this person, this tragic victim, was working in. Do you believe it will be obviously a lot of testimony in that case that they'll go to obviously other people on the set? We know at least the second armor has already pled guilty and says he'll testify against Baldwin and the first armor. Will it be a lot of testimony about the climate? Well, it's interesting because the first part of the individual who's taking a plea at first blush could help Alec Baldwin, and that is, you know, I made sure that he knew it was a cold gun. That's fine. And people are jumping on that a little too quickly because you're onto something, Rita, working off what I'm saying. The much more important part of any testimony from him or others, and you're right, by the way, they are going to call others who were there on this set. So the more important point from the cooperator is, you know, sir, please tell us, you know, the overall, you know, environment, atmosphere on the set. Well, there were problems. Can you explain in detail what some of those problems were? Yes. First of all, you know, we had crew members engaging in plinking. They were shooting live rounds at cans, but it just didn't seem to have the same level of care to make sure that it couldn't spill over to the filming side of the project, et cetera, et cetera. In the industry, you might say, I'm just theorizing, it is, you know, beyond critically important to make sure that if people are engaging in activity with live rounds, so-called plinking, that everybody is double and triple meticulous in making sure that no live rounds get anywhere near where the filming is going on. And that's the type of stuff that's going to make out the negligence case more than anything else. In other words, everybody is saying, and they're not wrong, that Alec Baldwin is going to say, I relied on the professionals, you know, whose job it was to make sure. But there are two comebacks to that. One is the condition of the set overall, and he's the producer, obviously. And two, much more importantly, is that veteran actors will tell you that the actor should check the gun, double check it. And veteran gun safety experts, one of my friends, former DEA agent, teaches gun safety at Quantico. And he says that you never, the number one rule of guns is you never point a gun at a human being and fire it. <laughs> Regardless of, you know, whether you think it's cold, hot, lukewarm, doesn't matter. And I think that's where he could get hurt as well, because in that venue, you know, that's not going to be tried in New York City or Los Angeles. I'm not being cute or sarcastic. But if it's tried out in New Mexico, you have a lot of people who are legitimate gun safety experts. 
and they're going to say he had no business pointing that gun anywhere near the woman, number one. And number two, he should have double and triple checked himself to make sure that it didn't have a live round in it. You bring up a great point that this is going to be in New Mexico. And you're right, they will have experience with guns. Talk about how that's going to really not help Alec Baldwin, as you bring up. Well, any trialer is going to tell you that factors like that are hugely, hugely important. We all remember the Jeffrey McDonald case. Not going to get all into the case, but the fact of the matter is they used an out-of-town lawyer to defend him in North Carolina. I myself have spoken on the phone with a lawyer down there who was very, very well known, and there was talk of using him instead. And many have written in books that had he represented McDonald, the outcome might have been different. So any good trialer sitting in a conference room is going to be like, wait a minute, guys, this is going to be tried out in New Mexico. Okay, we don't need even a jury consultant, even though we may hire one to tell us that, you know, let's be cognizant of that atmosphere and that environment. This is not downtown Los Angeles, not downtown Chicago, not downtown New York City, but it's out in a more rural area where the people take gun safety very, very seriously. And they're not going to look that kindly on, you know, a Hollywood type figure, you know, passing the buck, blaming others, denying he pulled the trigger when the FBI report. See, it's those ancillary points, Rita, that prove very, very important. So the point is, you can have a close case where it's debatable in both directions. Well, It was an accident. He was told it was cold. But then on the other side, wait, he lied. He said he didn't shoot the gun at all. You know, that's the kind of thing that can really hurt you with a jury is the point. How will Alec Baldwin's celebrity affect this case? Well, that's a brilliant question, obviously, because what's interesting, Rita, is that celebrity can work in two completely different directions. I've always found this fascinating. You know, I've talked about a lot of celebrity cases and I've written a lot of articles about celebrity cases. You know, O.J. Simpson, obviously, Robert Blake, Michael Jackson, you tick them off. And it can work in your favor in the sense that the reasonable doubt standard sort of gets changed to almost beyond any doubt, you know, because, oh, how could this celebrity have done that? But then it can also work in reverse. And that's what kicks in here, not to be a broken record, but this idea that it's in New Mexico, in a more rural area, you know, where people are not necessarily going to think that a big celebrity, you know, deserves extra dispensation. In fact, just the opposite. They deserve less dispensation. They pointed a gun at a human being. That person ended up dead. They didn't double check. Then they went on national TV and glibly and arrogantly denied it, you know, cavalierly. And then lastly, he's the producer as well, and the set was a mess. I think the celebrity dynamic might possibly work in reverse. However, I'm open-minded. Every trial lawyer has to be. And, you know, maybe it would. You know, they look at him, oh, he's this famous actor, oh, my God, and all of that, particularly in a case that is essentially an accident. How would you defend Alec Baldwin? Well, that's another very tough question. I think, you know, I would defend him saying that, you know, obviously – He was in incredible shock over what happened, and I would concede right up front, take the wind out of the sails, that the interview was probably ill-advised. Obviously, I'd have to, you know, check with my client before I made that argument, but I probably would. I would really try to diffuse that. And then it's really just straight X's and O's. And the X's and O's are, look, ladies and gentlemen, this is an accident. He didn't intend to do anything wrong. 
we find it odd, as you probably do too, to charge a human being with a criminal offense. You know, in the first year in law school, ladies and gentlemen, they teach you that a crime is an act plus the intent to do it. So here we have an intentless crime, tragic, tragic accident, et cetera, et cetera. But 10 times more importantly, ladies and gentlemen, is the fact that he was specifically told by two people that the gun was cold. And, you know, and it, it, there's some stuff to work with for sure. You know, he says he's going to fight this till the end. Do you think he'll be convicted? Do you think you see a plea deal? Where is this headed? Well, the answer to your question lies in this enhancement thing. I'm serious. And I think, you know, again, the listeners will find this interesting. When they announce the charges, you know, like a bat out of hell, I will be all over this enhancement section under New Mexico law and really study it close. If, in fact, he faces a five-year mandatory prison enhancement, meaning the judge must give him five years, then I think, obviously, you don't need me to say that that's going to play a big, big role in uh, plea bargaining. I mean, I was in a case in Albany, New York, in federal court, unbelievable. Guy was an arson charge, literally using a toaster, you know, very Mickey Mouse fact pattern. You know, nothing really happened, no fire. And they charged him with a 30-year mandatory minimum, okay? And they were able to do that on a shoestring, you know, using a device that can be incendiary. It was really over the skis. And the point is, he took a plea, and he did very well. He got, you know, like 18 months, I think it was. But the point is, when you're staring down the barrel of a mandatory minimum, Alec Baldwin, with his life and his career and as many young children and everything else, If there really is a potentially applicable five-year mandatory minimum in this case, then I think he's going to plead guilty. If, as I expect, it's not really a five-year mandatory minimum, and the lawyers conclude that, you know, a prop on a set, that doesn't fit the statute, you know, for objective use of a gun by a criminal, same thing, then he may go to trial. It's very, very hard to say, but he should really think long and hard. Obviously, about asking them to give him a misdemeanor and take it and run for the hills. But I can't predict whether that'll happen. So you think he should take a plea deal if it's a misdemeanor? Yeah, I mean, this could be, you know, be cute with the phrasing, a New Mexican standoff in this case. The point is, if the prosecutors are unwilling to consider giving him a misdemeanor, then I think it's hard to ask somebody like him to take a felony conviction, you know, which has a lot of serious, you know, other collateral consequences, you know, just your legacy, you were convicted of a felony. So the point is, if they insist on a felony charge, then I think he might actually go to trial. If they offer him a misdemeanor, I think there's a likelihood that he would take it. But again, you never can predict the dynamics, you know, of the client, the lawyers involved and everything else. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see the way it plays out. But, you know, you think about the Wolf of Wall Street, who you may know, you may have interviewed him, Jordan Belfort. I mean, he played the system brilliantly, like the best defendants do. I mean, he took an early plea, he got like 18 months, he would have gotten 20 years. Okay. Wow. How will this change? So we're scoring opportunities in federal practice all day long. You know, I won't get all into, you know, chapters and names, but I mean, I was in a big, big financial case in the Southern District. My guy was very, very smart in the sense that he understood how to play the game. He took an immediate plea, got a year and a day. He would have gotten six, seven, eight years had he, you know, persisted and lost at a trial. So this happens all the time. Now, what's really interesting is sometimes that puts the lawyers in a tough box. I know this sounds crazy, but, you know, they're in a big case with a well-known guy, you know, they can get a lot of exposure. You know, I could make more money if they fight the case more. It creates a little bit of a conflict. I'm not suggesting that the lawyers would walk somebody, you know, into a trial, but, you know, it's a subliminal 
factor in these big celebrity cases. So again, you know, many of the scoring opportunities are when you go in quick and you resolve it. I'm not telling him to do that. I'm not advising anybody of anything, but I'm just telling you some cold, hard realities of the day-to-day practice of criminal law. So he may be very smart. He may be like Jordan Belfort and he may just get in and maybe hypothetically grab a misdemeanor and run out of the building and that'll be it. And I'll have almost no impact on his life. But if he goes to a trial, Obviously, you know, it's a lot of stress and exposure and, and, and all of that. How will this change, do you think, the use of guns on sets for other actors? I mean, boy, they're going to be thinking twice and being super careful now. They may even, you know, ban it altogether. We'll see. No, it's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, first of all, you know, and it was interesting. I was telling my mom and my wife, who we were talking about the case last night, that, you know, the overall safety record is actually pretty outstanding, unless I'm wrong. In other words, we've had very, very few, thank God, incidents like this in the filming of hundreds, if not thousands of TV shows and movies. OK, so the safety standards are very, very high. This was the outlier, almost like the one in a million, I would call it you know, how a live round would make it into the gun being used in the actual filming, you know, how two people would tell the actor that the gun was, in fact, cold. I mean, it really is the outlier situation. But back to your question, no, I think, number one, from my dear old mother, who is not in law, doesn't know, you know, day-to-day law, she said, Doug, they ought to eliminate this plinking, as you called it. And I said, yeah, mom, you're probably right. So that would be one suggestion. And then the other suggestion, of course, would be to just put in, you know, harsher, more stringent rules and regulations about the use of firearms in filming. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like your mother is right on it. I'm telling you. She's spot on (laughs) with that. She's going to be 91 February 15th. God bless. Good genes in the family. Well, listen. Yeah. Everybody, be sure to subscribe and share to this podcast. Doug Burns, it is so awesome to have you here and get your important and always great legal insight, especially on such a high-profile case. Thanks so much, Doug. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.